to grow from strength to strength. I'm, I'm currently at the busiest I've ever been. I've got a waiting list of clients with more inquiries coming in. So it's it's just, it's it's in a, a real good position and it would never have been here if, if I didn't, if I didn't have the balls to take to make that play and just go all in with online coaching, I would probably still be doing okay. But I wouldn't have then got to that that the next step. And I think it just goes to show you for it. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Super More Bros Podcast. Hosted by your favorite brother duo, I'm Mitch. And I'm Matt. Where each week we bring you a dope guest or equip you with the skills to live life at the highest level. What is going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Super More Bros Podcast. We are absolutely pumped to bring you one of my favorite guys that I've ever met in the Twitter space. Just an absolute jacked human being. Some of you guys know him as Thor. Other of you guys know him as Francis, and he's just a legend. So go ahead and introduce yourself, Francis. Well, first thing, uh, I'm looking forward to, to getting on the podcast. I'm glad that you both invited me. But my my name is Francis Melia. I'm a, an online coach. I've been doing this for a long time. And just just to cut a long story short, I just help people get jacked. That's that's what I do. So I think that's a good good way to start the podcast. 100% dude and you're uh you are living legend of jacked like you you live it bro you are jacked <laughs> but um so dude we really just want to kick off with I mean you know obviously we are completely born and raised small town Indiana in the U.S. you're born over in Liverpool in the UK so just tell us you know what was life like growing up over there give us a little insight to that life so the UK and the UK and America are they are slightly different, um, especially Liverpool as well as a city. I'm not sure whether most of the listeners who are going to listen to this will know the difference in, in Liverpool as a city in compared to the rest of the UK. But Liverpool, where I'm from, it's it's a working class city. It's it's not a it's not a very posh city or anything like that. The people are very rough and ready. It's working class and. We that's that's what the way I grew up. I grew up in just a a normal family. We wasn't didn't have a lot of money, but we wasn't poor. Um, just just a normal upbringing. But the actual Liverpool itself, it's it is it's a working class city with a lot of hard work and morals. Um, being good people, it's a very friendly city. So that's 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 where I come from. So it's 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 pretty different than a lot of other places in the UK. Um, any listeners who are from the UK will know this. Liverpool is unique in comparison to places like London and all across the UK, even to places in America. Um, Liverpool is its own unique city. And that's where I spent 27 years of my life before I've, I've moved here to South America. So that's a little bit about Liverpool. Yeah, love that. And I mean, kind of sounds like us, you know, growing up, not much money, um, you know, blue collar. So I love to hear the similarities in our story. We wanted to um, ask you, what is the view before of the U.S.? Jump, what? Before we, before we jump on, I kind of want to just understand the difference. You said Liverpool is very unique mm. in compared to the rest of the U.K. I mean, I know most people listening will probably be U.S. You know, you're, maybe you're following being the U.K. and have that understanding. But even for us, like, 
Mm. What what makes it unique? What makes it different? Because you said it's probably even different than uh, the U.S. or London, you know, where you are. Mm. What makes it? So it all stems back to, you're probably talking around the 1970s, 1980s. Liverpool is in the north of England. Now, back then, the north of England was always, was very poor. It was, it was let's say, just ignored by the government. And it became... Uh, it just it wasn't a great place to be, especially Liverpool. It got neglected a lot by the government. So it sort of it brought about this Liverpool against the rest of the UK. Liverpool, people from Liverpool do not like the rest of the country. Liverpool, we are sort of isolated for, on our own. It's Everybody looks at people from Liverpool as, let's say, I don't know the way to describe it, Every every if you're from London and you see someone from Liverpool, you, you, most most people will think that they they don't have a lot of money, they are poor. So they people sort of look down on people from Liverpool. So then people from Liverpool have a chip on their shoulder mm. against the rest of the country, uh, all because of what happened in the seventies and eighties with the governments and they they stopped giving jobs to people in Liverpool. They just they just cut everything. They made it, it, it hard times to live in Liverpool in the seventies and eighties. So. The name for people from Liverpool were called Scousers. I don't know whether you've seen me talk about that or people mention that on Twitter. That's my accent. It's a Scouse accent. That's why it sounds like this. It's like a mixture of Irish and English and all sorts of shit. But we're known as from when you when you're from Liverpool, you're known as a Scouser. So Scousers in general, we are we we sort of have a chip on our shoulder against the rest of the country. Now, that's not everyone, but that's the general the trend within Liverpool. We, we're our own unique city, and we don't like to be tied as part of the UK. We're our own city. They, they, the people in Liverpool like to say we're Scouse, not English. So it's, it's that type of separation with Liverpool and the rest of the country. Now, people who are from the UK will know that. So wherever I, where I'm talking about this now, the Americans, you might not understand that, but that's people from the UK will get that there is a little bit of a divide between Liverpool and the rest of the country. So, in terms of what makes Liverpool different, for me, it's the people. It's when you when you go to Liverpool and you go to any other area in the UK, you will you will know you're in Liverpool. The people are just extremely friendly. They're very great sense of humor they're very witty they're always looking to have a joke but they're very very hard working people and you don't want to you don't want to let's say joke or mess with scousers because they there's a it's a very tight-knit community and if if they think that you're coming in and trying to cause harm or anything like that to, to our city you will you will be met with let's say i, I don't know I don't, I don't i don't know the best way the way to describe it but we don't like that type of stuff so it's just, it's a very tight-knit community, Liverpool, in, in comparison to the rest of the country. I appreciate that, man. I Do you feel like growing up there, you know, like you said, giving that uh, the people in Liverpool have a chip on their shoulder and they're, you know, hardworking people, do you feel like that really instilled, um, you know, that kind of me-against-the-world mentality, but also, you know, you're going to work hard to achieve the things that you want? Do you think that instilled, instilled that in you growing up? I think it it definitely it did have something to do with that. I think as well, my whole 
um, attitude growing up as well. I, I've got a brother, so very similar to you. It's it's just me and my brother. He's a younger brother. It was just me and him growing up, and in just me and him, my mum and dad. So there was just there was just four of us in the household. So you grow up in the city of Liverpool. It's it's a working class city, and as you know, I, I, as young men growing up, and it's you've. If you're if you're an idiot, you're gonna get taken advantage of. That's just the truth. So you know, I, I, I went to school and in Liverpool again as a working class city, and you know you you need to be able to handle yourself. You can't be no no fucking idiot who gets taken advantage of because you're not gonna get nowhere. So that was instilled in me from when I was three, four years of age. You know, when you first start going to school, it was always always taught by my mum and dad. Don't let anyone. No one can punch you or fucking hit them back. Don't go. Don't tell the teacher. Hit them back. If they hit you, hit them back twice as hard. So that that's just what the type of stuff that I was growing up with. So I've just taken that, that mentality all the way through through my life. Show respect to everyone. Be polite when it's time not to be nice. You know, it's it, it's game on. So that's that, that's my <laughs> own mentality with it. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome, man. And one, one more question, and then I'll, I'll let you go dive back in, D. Uh, you know, growing up in, for us here in the U.S., like we, you know, played baseball, like we had Little League Baseball, and, you know, that was really our life growing up. Um, you know, we played sports, we played video games, and uh, we just hung out together, him and I. Uh, so I'm curious what that looked like for you guys. I mean, what are the similarities or differences there? What did you guys So do? in – in Liverpool, Liverpool is a a massive footballing city. Now, you what you call what I call football, you call soccer. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of how big football or soccer is in the UK, but it's huge. It's the it has the biggest league in the world. Everybody, millions and millions of people will watch. It, it's called the Premier League. Now, in Liverpool, there is two there is two football teams, Everton and Liverpool. So it's a, it's a it's a massive football and culture in this city so if you're if you're a young boy or a young man growing up you're either an Everton fan or a Liverpool fan it's that simple you're in one of the other camps so it's you grow up and it's like a, it's like a tribal thing you're either you're either an Everton fan or a Liverpool fan there's always the arguments going on of who's better all this type of stuff and it's like a culture again so there's like a divide within the city where I spoke about there's a divide with Liverpool and the rest of the country. There's also a divide in the city, <laughs> depending on the football team. So that's a very big thing in Liverpool. So I, I grew up playing a lot of football and going to a lot of football matches with um, my brother and my dad and all that type of stuff. So it's a, it's a very, it's a big, big city on football. So that was how I spent a lot of my time growing up was just football and playing out on uh, on on the streets just playing football and i think that's something that's lost nowadays is everyone is just tied up on iphones and technology but i remember being a kid and i didn't have no phone or anything like that i used to just get a football and was out on the street kicking it around with everyone and you know just getting up to absolute mayhem but i wouldn't change a thing that that's i think that's what um a lot of the modern youth are missing out on it's honestly crazy yeah, to see see the similarities like that because I totally agree. You know, we didn't grow up. Yeah, we played a lot of video games, but there was still so much time we spent outside playing a ton of sports. Like I remember one time my mom, she even punished me with not allowing me to go outside. She's like, you know, like it, it, was, the, <laughs> yeah. it was a punishment. Like I sat by the back door of the house 
and just cried. And she was just like, you know, yeah. it's your punishment. Sorry, I don't want to know what I did wrong, but my punishment was that you can't go outside. And I think that would just never be the case today. I think parents are trying to throw their kids mm -hmm. outside. So yeah, the, the same thing happened to me. It was uh, my friends used to knock on the front door for me to, to come out and they'd be like, oh, his friends is coming out. And if I'd done something, it was like, no, he's not coming out today. That's what my mum would be like. So nowadays it's, it's so people are, people will probably take their iPhone or the PlayStation away from the kids. But so it's, it's just, it's completely different, different generations. It's crazy. That's so, so similar. It's crazy. But um, our next question we had was, usually there's a general perspective and view I've heard from people, even had a friend who lives in Tokyo, Japan, and he had a strong perspective on America and the U.S. So I want to see, is there something like that over there in the U.K. of how the U.S. is viewed from, you know, U.K., Liverpool, or what can you speak mm. to? Well, obviously, I, I've never been uh, to America, so I can't. I can't say specifically what I what I think of the US itself, but if I had to say, especially from Liverpool, now again, Liverpool's perception is going to be different than the rest of the UK. But if you, if you if you went to most people from Liverpool and said, well, what do you think of the people from America? Probably a lot of us would say that we think Americans are just cheesy and they're too nice and just full of shit. That's what that's that's the perception you will get. Now, obviously, you can. You can't generalize like that. That's just stupid. But that is the that's what you will get as a, a general answer of what do you think of Americans? And I, I know it's it's crazy, but that's that's the truth. That's what you will get. <laughs> as crazy as it sounds. <laughs> I don't think I don't honestly. I don't think that's crazy at all. I mean, I don't think. I mean, myself, I don't necessarily have a preconceived uh, perspective of what the UK is like. Maybe. The only thing that I think of is um, Lawrence King on Twitter. I don't know if you follow him. <laughs> yeah. He just tweets about how the UK weather and food sucks. It's right, though. We, I, I agree with most of the stuff that Lawrence tweets. The, the UK, it's you know, it, it isn't it isn't a great place. When you when you when you when you've been to different places and you see what's available out there, you know, it's it's it is it's you notice that. There's nothing really that good about the UK. The weather is terrible. The food is awful. The tax situation is criminal. So the, <laughs> the, only, the, the only good thing for me about the UK is my family is there. And that's that's what I'm missing at the moment is my family. And that's the only thing that I will go back to the UK and visit for. But there's nothing else that I miss about the UK. Absolutely nothing. It's oh, incredible. <laughs> So our um, next thing we're going to talk about is just how, you know, growing up, you said you were playing football all the time, soccer, as we call it. Is that what got you into lifting or where, when did you start getting into lifting? Was it football? Was it something else? So I, I also, as a kid, I, I played a lot of football, which was like a team sport, but from from the age of six, from the age of six till fifteen, I done kickboxing. So I trained kickboxing. Now it was my granddad who who got me into that. You know, my granddad was old school. He was okay. You, you need to know how to defend yourself and, and all this type of stuff. And as I said, I told you about my mum and dad. If, if anybody hits you in school, you, you you hit them right back and all that type of stuff. So 
I was naturally that type of kid anyway, so I just I started kickboxing classes and I'd done that from the age of six till I was fifteen. So that that that's an individual type sport. That's not a team sport where you can rely on someone else. That is solely on you and your own discipline to, to go out and learn, you know, punches, kicks, all the different techniques, all that type of stuff. That's a very individual thing. So I done that with with football throughout school. Play for the school football teams. Used to play with friends. So that's what I that's what I done growing up. And when I got to the age of 15, 16, I stopped playing football as much, and I was still doing kickboxing. And, and I got bored of kickboxing. So that was after nine years of it. I was at fifteen, sixteen, and I, I wanted a new challenge. So that was where the, the gym come in. I'd never lifted weights in my life. Um, at that stage, I was I'd say fifteen, sixteen, and I was still, even with all the exercise I was doing, like kickboxing multiple times a week and playing football, I, I still started to get a little bit overweight because I used to play a lot of Call of Duty back in the day. I was an absolute fiend on the PlayStation. On like, I don't know whether you play back in the day, but it was oh, COD yeah. 4. COD 4, it came out in 2007, and then you went into World at War, Modern Warfare 2. I was an absolute <laughs> nerd. I can, I, can, I can go into everything about them games in great detail. But I spent a lot of my time when I was that age. So I come home from school and, you know, I might have went to kickboxing a couple of times. We can play a little bit of football. But a lot of my spare time was 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 sack gaming, eating too much shit and, uh, you know, eating too many calories. And even if you are exercising, if you're eating too much food, you're going to get a little bit fat. And that's what happened to me. I was never, ex- you know, obese or unhealthy but i started to get a little bit you know chubby or chunky shall we say and as a young man at 15 16 and you're at that age in school you know i i didn't want that happening so that's why i started getting into the gym so that's when i just as soon as i walked in the gym you know that i know it's very cliche but i just got addicted to it because i come from doing something like kickboxing which is a very individual sport it requires a lot of self-discipline to do that for nine years especially from the age of six till 15 you're a kid you don't understand nothing so to, so to be that disciplined at that age that was just instilled in me and from when i first walked in the gym that was it i was just hooked and it, it just went from there so from the age of 16 to where i am now 27 it's near on 11 years of just just consistent training i'm, I'm just an absolute weirdo with the gym i just I'm just obsessed with it. I can't not train. I, I don't know how to describe that to people, but just obsessed with it. And I've been like that since since I started. And that's what's led me to the success that, I, that I'm having now with Twitter and coaching people. It's just, it is, I just live and breathe this stuff and I have done since I started. So that's just Love a little it. backstory. Love it. Absolutely. That's awesome, dude. So what, uh, what's the best Call of Duty, in your opinion? Best Call of Duty? For me, I, I I don't know whether you played World at War. I that was my favourite one. There's, so there was Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare, the original COD Four that come out on the PlayStation Three. That was the first one that had like real online COD and the, the online lobbies. And then the one after that, World at War. That was just a great time in my life. I remember it. <laughs> like, what would you? What's your favourite one? <laughs> uh, definitely for me it's definitely black ops too but at, you're a little bit older mm. uh you're a couple of years older than me and, and a few years older than him so i think we probably you know it just depends on what time in our lives when the games came out probably it depends mm. on our favorite but yeah totally so, black ops 
As I, I remember Black Ops 2, that, that wasn't my prime. My prime was a couple of years earlier than that, but I, I remember the whole, you know, the, the Black Ops 2. And yeah, just, I always say as well, because I was just, people, people who were good at Call of Duty or video games in general, you're also, you can also be extremely good at like business and the gym because it's that same mindset of like just grinding. I used to play a lot of like, we're getting into it now, like search and destroy. That was all I used to play. I was an absolute fiend at that. I used to play like competitive game battles, matches, all this type of stuff. I was just, I was just addicted at being the best I could be at Call of Duty. So when I stopped doing that, I, you take that, that sort of addictive personality you take that over into the gym and building the business and sweeting that i've got that same personality it's just 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 grinding and grinding at the, at the stuff that at the goals that you have so back then my goal was call of duty and now it's changed a good bit but it's it's that same personality that that um, it carries over it's crazy yeah 100 percent. that addictive personality takes over when you you really set your mind to something um yeah, I, I've experienced that myself. But so, what what took you to the gym? You said you're getting a little chunky, uh, chubby. Like, did you just seek out a local gym? You know, did you go with friends? Did your dad lift it growing up, when you were growing up, and that's who got you in? Like, what made you think to go to the gym? You know, after seeing yourself gain a little bit of weight. So no, nobody in my family lifted weights, so or there was no direct path into that. But my mum used to go, she used to go swimming at like a local, a local health club. And there was like a gym in this health club with like machines. And I think the dumbbells went up to like 50 pounds. So it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a shit gym, but it was, it was just for me, I thought it was great when I first started. So what I used to do a couple of times a week, my mum would go swimming and I would go with her, but I would go in the gym. So this is when I'm like 15, 16. So I would, I'd do the same thing every like every time i went in the gym like some sort of chest press machine maybe some curls maybe a leg extension there was just i didn't have a fucking clue what i was doing but i thought it was working i was just used to go in same reps same sets just same exercise didn't have a clue about anything about how to train rest times amount of sets per week how you work certain muscles i just went in and done what felt good and i'd done that for like a year straight and i got some okay results but then, you know, everything plateaued. And then that was the first year, so 16 to, like, 17. And then at that time, while I was in that gym for that year, my uncle started lifting himself, but in, a, 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 a let's say, an old-school-style gym, a spit-and-sword-style gym, something like Iron Valley Barbell. He started lifting in something like that. And I was in this commercial gym. So after a year... My uncle was doing his own training, and I was in a separate gym. So then he seen that I was I took a, a took a liking to training, and he invited me to to come down and train at a real gym with him. So I must have been seventeen, seventeen and a half, something like that, and I started training with him with in a proper gym. First time I touched the barbell because the gym that I was in for the first year didn't have a barbell; it was just all machines and dumbbells. So it was the first time I'd ever touched a barbell. And again, that's when training just, just took, took up a, an extra notch. I started learning about things like deadlifts and, and actually barbell squats and just 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 getting into the the actual uh, 
just the big basics. I didn't have access to all this stuff, barbells, pull-up bars, you know, the real basics that you find in a good gym. I didn't, I hadn't had access to that, so I just started getting used to that and just started researching more stuff and just learning and watching videos, reading articles, picking the brains of all all the other dudes in the gym, all, all the big fellas who were in there, because I'm some kid who comes in the gym at 17 and I'm seeing all these absolute fucking monsters they're throwing around the 120 dumbbells and all this, like, and I'm, and I'm like, fucking hell, like, I want to be like him. How's he doing that? And I was just, I was picking the brains of everyone. And I was just asking them, how do you do this? You know, what's the best exercise for this? How long have you been training? I was just like a sponge, just taking in all information from everybody. And I was taking, taking advice from all different types of people. And I was just coming together with my own thing and then just, just started building from there. And as you probably know yourself, your first couple of years in the gym, you can do anything and you will grow. As long as you're eating good food and sleeping, your training doesn't have to be optimal like everybody is searching for nowadays. It's just if you get in the gym and you have a set of balls and you, you train with a little bit of intensity, you're going to get somewhere for your first couple of years. And that's, that's what I've done. So, and then we can, we can get into busting through plateaus later on, but that's, that's the whole path of how I, I started lifting weights and how i got into it properly i love that because bitch and i were just talking about this the other day i love how you're going around asking people you know how do you do this how do you do that because we were just talking about you know how a lot of people ask like what's your certification or did you go to college or i think maybe call it university but you know did you go to college did you get a further education in this and mitch was like this is stuff that you you can't put on a resume you can't explain mm-hmm. like you know, you have to tell your story of I'm 17 year old Francis and I'm going around the gym to these huge guys trying to figure out how they're moving these weights. And that's, that's how you're learning. You know, you're learning from reading articles every night, soaking stuff in. And, you know, for those people out there who think like, well, what's your, what's your certification? Oh, what's your, like really just let number one, let your results speak for themselves. But I just love hearing that story from you of, you know, it's the same, same goes for really me. How I learned was at IVB, mm-hmm. just soaking from Mitch, from Zach, from these other guys, you know, researching stuff. And so it's just great to see that parallel. And I love, mm-hmm. I love hearing that. Well, the, the funny thing is it's, this is, this is, I absolutely, I can talk about this because I went to university, right? I've, I got the, I got a, got a degree in sport and exercise science. I studied for three years from the age of 22 to 25. So I come out with a, some, the fair, a first class degree, which is like, it's like the best degree you can get. Not that it fucking matters, but that just goes to show I come out with the best grade or whatever. It doesn't matter. When I come out, there wasn't a job for me, by the way. I had to go and find my own you know, job and, co- and get out there myself. So nothing to do with a degree. I, I spent many years before I went to university. So I went to university at age 22. I started training at 16. So that was six years of training experience and knowledge before I even stepped foot in university. I did not learn anything within that three years of university that changed my whole training philosophy or my outlook on anything to do with the gym or nutrition. Absolutely fucking nothing, right? I am 50,000 pounds in debt with student loans and all this type of shit just for some certification which is back home in Liverpool in a fucking drawer which I will never look at again. It means absolutely nothing to me. So 
all these people who want to talk about science and uh, science is everything, it's fucking not. It, it's it's bullshit. And that's, that, that's coming from, I've had a degree and I'm in debt. I could, I could easily sit here and go, oh, you need a degree, you need certifications and all this. No, you don't. You really don't. I, everything I've learned and has got me where I am today is from my own experience, my own research. And just doing this for a long time has nothing to do with a degree. Absolutely nothing. I agree. Spot on, man. I love that. Yeah, I, I have a similar experience. You know, I, I didn't get my degree in, in exercise science or anything like that, but I, I went into finance and I didn't learn anything that I work with clients on now in my, you know, college degree. Like it was geared towards going to work for a big company and, you know, being another cog in the wheel. It wasn't geared towards actually helping people, um, everyday people, you know, grow their, their finances, mm. grow their money. So it's just... Yeah, you, you learn more. I tweet about it a lot, and I, I'm sure, you know, we all do, really. Um, you know, we learn more from a couple of years on Twitter than we do a couple years in college. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. It really is crazy. And I, I can't stand these nerds who are like, I can't do nothing without seeing the numbers. I need to see the numbers and statistics for this. Fuck off. Go and get in the gym and try it. Like, <laughs> go, and, go and try a training plan for the next, you know, couple of months eat properly, sleep properly, and see if it works. You do not need to see the numbers to to inform every decision you make. It's just, it's just fucking stupid. It's just society nowadays. I know we'll probably get into this uh, soon, but the way the way modern society is, man, it, it's fucked, and I, it really it annoys me. I want no part of it. I just stay, I stay in my own bubble. <laughs> yeah, you know we hundred percent agree with you there. I want to go back to when you first got into the gym, though. You know, you're going in a couple of days a week and your mom went swimming. Um, you know, most kids, you know, or just young men, I should say, that are, you know, a little overweight, a little chubby, a little chunky, they're going to have anxiety going in. I mean, you said you had no fucking clue what you were doing when you first went in. Mm-hmm. So, like, what gave you the courage to be able to step in there and, just, you know, go around and do the machines and, you had no clue, you know, sets, reps, everyone thinks just on that point, like they need the perfect workout program, the perfect nutrition program, you know, they need to have everything perfect before they can go in and actually get started. Like what made you get started and have the, the nutsack essentially hmm. <laughs> go in and just do it? I have, for me personally, as I said, my upbringing, I've always just been a, just a confident person. It's just the way I've grown up and, I, I was always a, a bigger a bigger dude in school as well. You know, I, I was like six foot four from the age of fourteen. You know, I've always been just a, just a, a big man, so I've never had any sort of confidence issues or anything like that. I, I went through school and no one fucked with me. It's that that's not to say that with like a, an ego type thing, but I just I just minded my own business and I was always quietly confident. So I've never had any sort of issues like that. I I just rocked up to the gym and was just let's roll with this and let's learn as I go. I've never been scared of, of hard work or you know, of failing at something or looking stupid because that's the only way to get better. And that was that was how I got through it. It's just, just, just rock up and, and, and learn as you go. I love that. So what, what would you say, I'm sure you have a lot of clients probably who maybe they're just getting started and they're, they have anxiety around going to the gym because they don't know what they do or what, don't know what to do, or whatever it may be that's in their own head, what would be your best advice to someone who is scared to go in, but, you know, they need to? 
I, I've had this in the past. I, I have dealt with people who've, who've had anxiety before going into the gym. And one thing I, I always try and get across to them is that people don't care about you as much as you think. Just go in the gym and, and, and start training. There's anyone who, if there is a small percentage of people who are going to look or whatever, they're just, they're just fucking dickheads anyway. So don't worry about them. I know myself, the, the people who are the biggest and strongest in the gym, they will, they will help you out if you need help. This is 100% true. I, I don't know any... It's very rare that I've seen someone who is big and strong in the gym who is an absolute arsehole. I know most most of them will help you out. So anyone who is who's actually strong and knows what they're doing in the gym will, will happily help a hand to you. It's only these insecure little little weirdos who are only going to try and laugh and anything like that. So don't, don't be worried about them. Just go in and do your own thing. I'm just build that momentum. That one one session turns into two, that two, three, and then before you know it, you've got a month of training sessions in, and you're starting to feel you're starting to feel yourself a little bit of confidence. You can see that bicep being coming through. Just just fucking get in there and yeah. get after it, and and don't worry about what what any what any weirdos got to say. I think uh, I think to add to that is if you're just getting started, those guys who are stronger than you, they know where you're at. They've been there too, like. I feel like that's another reason why they're so willing to help. You know, I remember when I was back deadlifting 225 or whatever. Yeah, I was like 11, 12 years old. But, you know, I remember the start getting into the gym no matter the age. And I know everyone who's, you know, progressed. If they've been in 5, 10 years, they know their start still. So they're definitely willing to help. So I just would say that, you know, understand you're running your own race and understand that they've they've been there. They get it. Hmm. Yeah. But even when I when I first started, and I went to that you know the first time I went to the to the old school gym, uh, everyone was very very welcoming to me. They they wanted to help me out. There was no one who was uh, let's say looking at me funny or giving me bad vibes. Everybody everybody wanted to help. So you know I, I think most most places most gyms you go to are, are going to be like that. So I I think where a lot of people have anxiety again. You're just you're creating something in your head that hasn't happened, and it's probably not going to happen. You're worrying about something that it's not going to happen. So, just go in the gym, build that momentum, and you'll be fine. Hundred percent. So, I want to um, pick back up on your story. So, before you went to university, you said you know, seventeen, you're really hitting the gym, absorbing from all these guys in this old school gym. So, fill in that gap from seventeen until you went to university at twenty two. What? What does that time period look like? Did you go work blue collar? You said you're from mm. Liverpool, blue collar area. What does that look like? Yeah, so from from the age of like 17 till I'd say 22, I started university when I was 22. So my dad is a he's a painter and decorator. So that's his trade. That's that's what he does. So I used to go to work with him a couple of days a week. So that's I I spent a lot of my time doing that. I also before I went to university. I I done like a, a personal training certification, which was I think it lasted like a year, eighteen months, and to me that was that was a, that was one big waste of time. I was I was at that stage where I was just I was procrastinating and didn't know what to do. I I got funneled like everybody does. I'm a, I'm an eighteen nineteen year old kid. All I was interested in at that time was the gym. I did not care about fucking nothing else. All I wanted to do was train, eat my meals, and sleep. And then play a little bit of Call of Duty. That's that's what I wanted to do. That was that that was my life then. So everybody is telling me, 
you know, my mum, my dad, everyone around me is like saying, oh, you're interested in the gym. You're never going to be able to make a living out of the gym. It's, it's time that you do something else. And, and I was like, no, I, I'm not having that whatsoever. I, I know I'm going to make something out of this. Just just you wait and see. I'm not going to go and work in a fucking office answering phones. I'm just not fucking doing that. There's just no, no chance. So I'm 18, 19, and I'm, I'm doing a personal training qualification just to as I said, procrastinate and make, make it look as if I'm doing something meaningful, which it's not. It was a load of bullshit, that course. It, it was just one big waste of time again. But that was just, that again, that was me getting funneled through the system. So I, I'm around 2021, 20, and it's, I'm at that stage, okay, so what do I do? And everyone's saying to me, oh, you've got to go to university. You can't be successful without a degree. You need a degree to make more money. So again, I'm a 21-year-old kid. I didn't know any better. So I, I signed up for university. What did I like to do? Sport and exercise science. That's, that's Surely that's to do with the gym. That'll be good. Let's go to university. So that's that's what I've done. And as I'm, I'm in the middle of university, I, I'm like, no, I know this, this isn't for me, but I'm already halfway through it. So it's I've just got to finish it. So that's, that's what I've done. I realised while I was in university that it was a, a load of bullshit. But that's... That's that's the gap from when I was eighteen, nineteen to up until university. Spent a lot of time working with my dad and doing a personal training certification, which was a load of shit. It's it's honestly crazy. <laughs> so it, at that time um, that you were doing the personal training certification, were you training other people, or where did that start to come in? No, I, I wasn't training uh, no one whatsoever. It was just all my own training and. That's just just some bullshit personal training certification, and then funneled in to university. So, if if you want me to go into how I then got into coaching from from university, we'll we'll go onto that if you want. Sure, let's do it. So, the the degree lasts for three years. So, towards the end of that degree, the last year of the degree, you you you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do when I graduate? Again, I was procrastinating. I, I didn't know what to do. There was there was no job offers. There was there was nothing like that, which everybody finds when 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 they finish university. And you, you get promised all these false jobs, and there's, you, you're going to be making tons of money. There's absolutely nothing there waiting for you when you finish. It's just one big scam. Yeah. So, I'm um, I'm finishing my third year, and I know deep down, I know that this this college and university whatever isn't for me. But I still, I applied to do a master's in strength and conditioning, okay, which would have been an extra year. I applied to do that. I had to do that in the January, apply in the January to be accepted in the summer when the third year finished, and then I would start the master's in the September. So I was accepted onto the master's, all that type of stuff. So that was my plan. I was going to graduate uh, my third year and go and do a strength and conditioning master's because... I, I didn't know what else to do. I really was just like, if I drop out of university, I'm not going to be doing anything. I'm just going to be sitting around. There's no job. So I'm just going to stay in the system, in the education system. So I I graduate from university around May of that year. And it was one, one day I was I was just looking on, on Facebook or Instagram and I seen a... a a friend of mine who I met at a powerlifting comp a year ago, he owned a gym in the city. He posted on his Facebook and his Instagram 
we're hiring a new coach. We're looking for someone to work with our team, and you know you will you will have help and guidance from a, a team of coaches with thirty years experience. Just started laying out everything, and I seen that advertisement. And you never know when you just read something and it hits you and it stands out and it grabs you. That's what that done to me, and, and I was like, "This is for me. I, I, I'm going to message him and, and I'm going to I want to go down and speak to him and, and get involved in this. This this sounds like it's something for me." So. I messaged him and a week later I'm down in the gym and I'm talking to him and I'm going, okay, I want to get some hands-on experience now actually coaching people. At this time, I'm 25 and I haven't had any hands-on experience, anything like that. So I want want to work with people. So I told him the whole situation and he said to me, right, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shit coaches in the industry, but he, he knew me. He, he'd seen my training for many years. I've met him at powerlifting competitions. He knew that I was a, I was the real deal and I could help people. So he said to me, okay, the job is yours. If you want it, instantly you can start right away. I'll help you get some clients. We'll get the ball rolling. We'll start posting on social medias that you're a new coach here in the gym. And let's roll with it. So within the space of a couple of weeks, I went from I was going to be doing a master's and then I completely quit going to do any masters that was no more and i started coaching in the gym so it was just a case of i had to get i had to get myself out there to start getting some experience i got that job on that coaching opportunity all through my own doing it was nothing to do with university again it was again my own connections that i'd made at a powerlifting meeting and my own experience from my own training that's what got me in the door nothing to do with a degree so then yeah just i started coaching uh, I was coaching for a couple of years in there, and then the, then the pandemic hit. So that's another story that we can go into probably later on. But yeah, that's that's how I got into coaching in the gym. That's a great story, man. I love that, and, and I love that you hit on the point that you know university didn't do anything to get that job for you. It was your it was your network. It was the people that you knew, the connections that you had already made, like. You know, a saying that we hear a lot, at least over here, you may have a similar one over there, but your network is your net worth. Yeah. Um, that, that has been true for myself. I know it's been true for my brother and sounds like it's true for you as well. So, you know, for the, for the people out there who are maybe they're 18 and they don't know what they want to do, instead of getting funneled into university, like you mentioned, which is exactly what happened to me as well, go network with people. You know, send send that DM and say, hey, like, I'm 18. I don't know what I want to do. I have this interest. You know, I love going to the gym or, you know, whatever your interest may be. It doesn't have to be the gym. That's just what it is for us. Um, you know, send that message back. Hey, like, just I'm looking for guidance on what you do in your everyday life. You know, Francis, what does coaching clients look like? Like, how can I get involved? How can I add value to you to learn more about that? Because, you know, it's bigger than just talking to that person that you're connecting with. You're also connecting with that person's network. And I know this is something that, you know, uh, Jeremy Newsom on Twitter spoke to my brother about, you know, when you connect with someone, they also have people that they've connected with. And so even if that person can't help you directly, maybe they have a friend and they can be like, Hey, like my friend's hiring right now. Like, you know, this may be a good opportunity for you. Let me send you his contact information. Just, you never know what could happen out of just reaching out for help and asking to connect with someone. Because in my experience, literally 
99% of people will accept that, um, you know, ask. They'll say, yeah, you know, I'll hop on a 30 minute phone call and just talk to you about what I do. And, you know, they're, they're willing to help. Like we've all been there. We've all been there. Kind of like when we start in the gym, like he said earlier, we've all been there before. So just reach out, ask for help and do it in a way that is respectful and not entitled. Uh, I know we all get some of those DMS, but uh, you know, be respectful and, and just be honest and vulnerable about your situation. And most people will help you out. I definitely agree. But one, one thing, the reason why I think people, we can't do that. And a lot of people, the younger generation now don't ask for help or they, they, they don't take initiative because we're being funneled through the system of school and college university we're constantly being told what we should do so we are being conditioned from a young age if we're just we're being told what to do by teachers professors the system so nobody likes to think outside of the box so nobody has the initiative to go and ask someone to okay maybe university isn't for me maybe this is the, this is the route because if if you start to ask them questions you you get frowned upon people think that you're He's talking shit. He, he's a weirdo, him. But if if anything, you have to you have to step away from the crowd in in order to be successful. That is something that that I've 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 found over the past couple of years. If you if you want to be successful, you, you can't do what everybody else does. You really can't. So that's what I'd say to some young kid who's sitting there now at seventeen, eighteen. You don't really know what to do. Don't just do what everybody else is doing. You you can't step outside of that box and go and take your own initiative fan. Even if everybody thinks and looks at you like what you're doing is strange, just do it. Just just crack on it and do you. And there's a good chance that it's, it's going to lead to something. Amen to that. Amen to that. So you mentioned you met this guy at a powerlifting meet. So you must have gotten into powerlifting then sometime during university or maybe even before. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about, you know, for your powerlifting experience. So with with powerlifting, uh, probably I think I was twenty two, because I the the gym I trained in, um, the old school gym I trained in, I trained there for five years, and then when I was twenty two and I moved to university, it was in a different area of the city, so around the city centre, and there was a powerlifting gym in the city centre, so at that time it, it all worked in perfectly because I. I I'd already built a good strong base up of five years of training with all the big lifts and I really wanted to get into powerlifting. I'd seen a lot of videos on YouTube of powerlifting meets and it was really something that I was interested in. So it's funny how it all worked out. I, I, I searched on Google um, powerlifting gyms in Liverpool. No, I'd never ever done this. And luckily enough for me, there was one right by my university five minutes five minutes away. And there was a coach in that gym who, he was an IPF competitor. He competed at Worlds. So he was, you know, a real a real knowledgeable coach. You, you couldn't get any better than someone who'd been to IPF Worlds. So I went down to that gym, uh, 22, just started university in the September. And, and I got in contact with that gym. And the first time I'd ever seen or used calibrated plates, I was, I'd used to being using some shitty barbell and, and rusty plates. And now and here I am with a, a Lico and Rogue barbell and plates and everything's real, real proper, proper platforms. It was, it, it was crazy, but and that's, I, I just started in that powerlifting gym. I started getting coached um, by the, 
the man who was a, an IPF lifter, I, I, I got coached by him for three years. So, again, uh, there's so many things to talk about, but I was, I was picking his brain for three years while I was working with him. It was never just, I'm just... I'm just working with you and, and that's it I don't take an interest I was got into powerlifting started learning from an elite lifter which was picking his brains on everything how he programs why he does this and then my own training itself just being in the trenches so again that was a, that was a them three years from 22 to 25 was a that was a huge learning curve for me so even though I was in university wasting my time with that shit I, I look at it like I was in the gym in a powerlifting gym getting coached by by him and just just learn and stuff that really matters so it all ended up well i really wanted to um dive back to your story real quick of you know not going to get your master's coming that next september and taking that mm. job because i really want to hear because i've had a similar experience with parents pressuring me into college or university and i i told them no you know i didn't do it so i want to hear the conversations you had to have to go to that gym and become a coach and then, I mean, tell the university like, hey, I'm not coming. What was that time like? And did you have pushback from your parents? Were they hard on you for that? And what? Did, how did those conversations go? Well, at the age of around 24, 10 and 25, when I when I made that decision, my mum my and dad have always been very supportive of whatever decision I make. They just thought that university was the way you, you had to go. But... Once I told them that I'd made my decision, they they were supportive. They were never like, oh, oh no, you have to do a master's. I, I told them, I said, listen, I, I'm, I've got a job opportunity here. I'm going to go in the gym and start making some money. Because when you're in university, I, I wasn't working. I wasn't making much money. I was just living off fucking student loans that you get, which, you know, that's another reason why I was stuck in university because I was living off that safety net of student loans that you get. That's another way that they entice people in. You can come you come and study with us and don't worry, we will give you X amount of, of money each year for you to study and stay nice and comfortable. It's just it's 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 crazy what they do and the mind games that they play, but I just had the conversation and I, and I, I said I said to, to my mum and dad, I'm going I'm going down to this gym and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to the man in there and we're gonna start coaching. I'm gonna start earning some money, getting my experience up. And there was no pushback from them. Uh, as I said before, I, I, in terms of telling the university, I literally just sent them an email and just said, hi, uh, I'm not coming to do the Masters no more. Uh, <laughs> see you later. That was it. <laughs> that was that. Was, there, was, there, was, there was nothing. I hadn't paid no fee. There was nothing Nothing that was tied me down to that. So, yeah, just just started in in that gym. And we just we, we went from there. Spent a good, I'd say, it was like 18 months, two years before COVID hit. And then things changed again. Incredible. Yeah, and I, I say we just go right into that because I know we've talked about your story with COVID and then going online. And so just take us in. So you, 18 months in-person coaching, you're getting some good experience, you know, having in-person clients. And then COVID hits. So take us through what was that like once COVID hit for you? Right, this, this, this is going to be a, a long one, so we'll, we'll, it, it's interesting, so let, let, I'll, let's get into it. So with with COVID or whatever, it, it, it all hit in, was it March 2020? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. I think it was March 2020. So at that time, I'd been in the gym and I'd been building my client base up. 
So I wasn't I wasn't extremely busy making a, a lot of money, but I, I was just taking taking by because as you know, starting a business from scratch, it's never all yeah, sunshine and rainbows in your first year, eighteen months, whatever. It just isn't. And anyone who says that is lying. I just I spent you know time building up my client base, getting word of mouth out that I'm coaching and all that type of stuff, getting results with people. So my my business was doing okay, and then. The, the, the pandemic hit in March and all gyms were closed. They were all ordered to close in the UK. So my income went from whatever I was in and to completely zero for four or five months from March until like July. So that was March, April, May, June, near on five months of, of zero income. So I'm at that stage and uh, and I'm like, okay, what what am I what am I gonna do now? So luckily, with the, the gym I was in, it was a it was a private facility, and they had tons and tons of plates and barbells. So luckily enough, the owner, uh, you know, he, he's a legend for this. He let me he let me bring home a barbell to, to my home, my back garden, and near on four or five hundred pounds of plates. So I had a barbell and five hundred pounds of plates. That was enough to keep me sane for the four or five months during lockdown. I trained in the back garden with my brother uh, and my best friends. We trained in the garden, just proper old school training with just a barbell and plates. We were deadlifting on the floor, smashing the concrete flags. Uh, my mum wasn't happy with that, but it is what it is. Lots of deadlifts on the floor. We were we were squatting off wheelie bins, so we had two wheelie bins as squat racks to hold to hold the barbell. It wasn't safe, but it was the only way that we could squat. So it was lots of squats off bins. We were doing floor press because I didn't have a bench. It was just real like 1920s training. That's what we were doing. But it was it was some of the best training I've ever done. So that's that's what kept me sane for the four or five months uh, during that whole lockdown period. And that was from March till July. So I'd say March, April, May. So around May of that lockdown, uh, I hadn't earned any money for about two or three months and I was just getting really pissed off. Like it was just, you know, when you, we, we'd all been locked down, you, you couldn't really do much. Everywhere was closed. I was just training in the back garden and I was just starting to get pissed off with just the world and just the way it was. Like how was everyone just accepting this bullshit? It was just... It was just really annoyed me. And I was just, I, I, at this point, I'd been on Twitter for about a year. I'd had an, like a burner account. I must have had like 50, 50 followers and I didn't use the account whatsoever. I followed all the fitness fitness guys like Zach. I've been following Zach for years. A lot of like age, um, all, all, all the big fitness accounts that I had followed them and I'd followed religiously what they were posting for a long time. So, we're in the middle of the lockdown and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, there needs to be something I can do to, to make more money here or, or just do something. I, I can't be reliant and be at the mercy of the government just closing me down again because this could happen again in the future, which it did, by the way. So good job that I've done this. But I thought, right, I'm going to start I'm gonna start posting on Twitter because I know I've got, I've got some good knowledge of my own many years of training and my coaching experience. I have seen all these other fitness accounts do it. I know just as much as them, so I'm gonna, I am gonna. I can do it. That's that's what I thought in my, in my mind. So I just started showing up on Twitter. It was just, i say, from May of June of that year. Um, I put my first tweet out. And it was just every day 
just relentless three to five tweets every single day just on everything to do with training nutrition anything just just putting out just just solid content and my account just just started to grow so from june to july it took me till august to gain a thousand followers now you know yourself when you when you get that thousand follower mark that's a big milestone that's when they say twitter really begins so here i am in august i've got a thousand followers you know i think i'm mr king dick with with my big following so <laughs> so you know I, you start you start to get some confidence now at this time um the gyms have opened back up again so i, I i'm coaching in person and uh, posting on twitter so that's that's everything that i'm doing at this stage but that takes us to august now all through that lockdown i'd say in the middle of the, lo- the lockdown around april that's when i started the the infamous cut so on my profile picture or the the, uh, the pinned tweet you can see when i was like 260 that was that picture was took around april so that's when i started dieting was was april so all through that lockdown and all that stage of, of building my twitter i was just chipping away at the body fat each week and in the back of my mind i was thinking okay i've got pictures of when i'm 260 i'm gonna get myself shredded as fuck right i'm gonna be looking shit hot and i'm gonna put before and after pictures and just show my transformation and i'm gonna post that on twitter and i know that's that's gonna go off that that was my whole thinking of one of the reasons why i was dieting was to show some social proof that i know what i'm doing so we get to october so it was 18 20 weeks of dieting from april to around the end of september october so i got extremely lean i went i went from 260 down to around 217 and i you know i looked i looked really good i'd lost well over 40 odd pounds so i put the side by side pictures and then at this at this stage on around october i think i had 2000 followers on twitter so it was slowly growing and then now i had these pictures to throw out i throw them them pictures out when i finished the cut and my notifications on twitter just just blew up it had like four or five thousand likes that picture in 12 hours hundreds and hundreds of retweets i went from two thousand followers in one night to five thousand followers that was that was my that was my first experience of like a viral tweet and everything just just going off my 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 phone just never stopped buzzing the amount of dms i was getting notifications just just everything it, it, it was just crazy so that's in the october when i finished dieting and i post the pictures and at this time i've got no online coaching business i don't even have no software set up i have no way of people contacting me via a google doc or a calendar i have nothing i didn't expect this to i didn't really expect it to pop off the way it did so it's going viral and someone told me you should you need to make a google doc for coaching applications because it's going viral and you know after like an hour or two of the, of the post popping off i went onto google docs and created some makeshift form you know what is your name what's your goals why are you interested in coaching with me all that type of stuff and i fired that at the end of the the tweet that was popping off so i go to bed uh, that night and then i i wake up the next day um and then i check the google doc and there's like 77 people who have wrote their information to to work with me for coaching 77 so i've went i've woke up with like 77 inquiries that was just on a google doc form 
And then in the DMs, there was there was 20, 30 just people asking me how much is coaching, how much is coaching. So here I am with I haven't I haven't got a as I said, I'm not set up on no coaching software. I haven't got no programs wrote out for online clients. I've just gotten I'm just not got nothing ready at all for online coaching. So I start responding to to all of these the the names on the, the Google Doc, they put their email address in. I, I'd done it all completely wrong, by the way. If I had this, if I had it all, if I had my time all over again now, it was, I fucked up so bad. But either way, you, we learn from our mistakes. So here I am going through a Google Doc with 77 different emails, typing them in on Google, messaging them going, hey, I've heard you're interested in coaching, blah, blah, blah. This is the price, you know, all this type of stuff. And, you know, I didn't, nothing was happening. So this was all happening on a Saturday, Sunday, I remember it. And then I went into the gym I was in on the Monday. And some of the some of the fellas or the coaches in there already, they were online coaches They already. They, they were set up on apps like True Coach and all this type of stuff. And I explained to them the situation and said, look, I've got people who are asking me for coaching here. What do I do? Well, how do I set it up? Do I need to use Excel sheets? Google Docs or what do I use? How do I coach people? I didn't have a clue on how online coaching worked. So one of one of the fellas in there, he said, right, let's get to a uh, true coach. You need to get set up on that. And we need to make out like an introduction form, like a questionnaire that you can ask clients for when they sign up to give you all this type of information. We just got set up with all the, the logistics of all that type of stuff, what we, what we needed. So I thought, right, I'm good to go now. We get to Monday evening after that weekend, and I, I've I've signed up on through Coach. Um, I've got my software ready. I've got everything I need. I've got my payment processes in, in place. I've got my Stripe in place, all linked to my bank accounts. You know, all that stuff is pending. So I was I was good to go to start to actually start onboarding clients. Mm-hmm. So on that Monday evening, I I got a hit with one of the emails. I I told them the price. This is the this is the cost of coaching, and I and I sent them like the Stripe link. And on that Monday night, here we go, here's my first notification. Your client has signed up and has sent the payment or whatever. And that was like, that was the moment the light bulb went off in my head. You know, when you sign that first client and you see that first mm-hmm. transaction go through, you, you'll all remember it. It's, you never forget that moment. And, and that is, that's the moment where you go, right, this, I can make this into something. If I, online money is a real thing. You know, I'd seen this on Twitter and everyone talking about it. But I, I, this is, here's me now noticing it for the first time. So I signed my first client on, on that Monday night. So by the end of that week, I went through all these, the, the emails, the Google Docs, the, the messages, and I signed and I had about four or five clients after the first week. So out of all, there was probably near on 100 inquiries. I only signed five clients, which just goes to show again that a lot of people are full of shit, even though I didn't. Even though I didn't manage and handle it as best as I could, here I am with with five clients, five online paying clients. Again, I'm thinking I'm Mr. King Dick. I've got a couple <laughs> of thousand followers on Twitter. I've got five online clients, and I just thought, right, th- this is it. And it just that was that was the real big, you know, explosion of everything. That is where shit really got real. You know, it it, it turned into just just tweeting for to help people obviously that's what i still do and but it turned in from okay you're, you're actually making money from this now this is an actual legitimate thing 
so that's that's when it just it just blew up and from that was in the october november of 2020 and and here we are now i've just just continued to to grow things and here we are obviously there's 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 a there's a time frame in that where i went fully in with just all online coaching which i can get into a little bit later but that's just a, a backstory of the whole how COVID and all that shit just it lit a massive fire under my ass. And without all of that bullshit, I would not be where I am today. So I'm extremely thankful for all of that, for really opening my eyes and just lighting a fire under my ass. It, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, that whole pandemic, the best thing. And I don't regret any of it. 100%, yeah. Yeah, 2020, I, I was just actually talking to my wife the other day about this. Uh, Claire, um, I said, you know, 2020 was like the year that changed everything for me. Like, that's the year I moved to Indianapolis. That's the year I joined Iron Valley Barbell. That's the year I met Zach. That's the year that my brother moved in with me. You know, that's the year that, <clears throat> you know, all of this started to happen. The year I met her, like, 2020 was one of the best years ever because I did. we didn't just go with the bullshit that was going on. Um, you know, we continued to do our thing and, and, uh, you know, meet people and, and continue to grow. But, uh, I love that story, man. I'm curious to hear, um, you know, so you start tweeting three to five times a day, you're consistent with it. You're disciplined. Where did the, um, awareness come from of like, okay, I'm going to start this cut and I'm going to do this just for Twitter content for social proof. Like this is solely to show people that I know what I'm doing. I know this is going to blow up, et cetera. Like, I think a lot of people just don't even have that awareness of social proof being a big deal when you're trying to grow your online audience and start an okay. online business. So where did that come from for you? Well, the, the gym I was in, um, they, they're very successful coaches that they, they'd had success with, with online training and the before and after pictures type deal. So I've been around that myself and as you've seen in, in that before picture, I was I was two sixty and I got myself just just fat for the for the thinking I was going to be able to move more weight within powerlifting, which, which wasn't the case. So I'm sitting there in the middle of a lockdown and I'm, I'm nearly two sixty and I'm two sixty five, and it wasn't just all to do with okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm just doing this solely for pictures, but I needed to get lean. I was just I was just fat, just quite simply fat, and I needed to sort that out. And I thought, okay, no better time to do it now. Um, uh, and I, not only am I going to get lean, I've got the beforehand pitches, and I, that was always in the back of my mind, you know, with the discipline. And when when there was some rough days where you didn't feel like dieting and doing doing your daily steps, I was always thinking, right, I know I'm doing this to get lean, get in the best shape I've ever been in. And these pictures are going to pop off and they're going to show social proof to everyone. And I, I'm going to build my business off this. I was just willing that in my mind. I, I, it might sound like bullshit, but I, I knew it was going to happen. I just knew. I just had that. The, the, just Again, it was the, very similar to when the advertisement for the gym popped out and I took that opportunity. There's just certain things when you just know what's going to happen. There's just, I can't explain it. There's just a feeling that you know when when something is going to happen. And I just had that feeling with those pitches and it was true. Yeah, that's That's great, man. That's great. So I'm curious, honestly, you know, we have an idea of what the cutting process looks like, but we've always been the type that we struggle to gain weight. 
Um, and we're really, we really speak to, or I guess I say we, I'm the finance guy. He's the actual trainer. He really speaks to the person trying to bulk up. So I'm just curious, what did you, what did you start doing to actually make that cut? I mean, are you counting calories? Are you tracking macros? Like, are you doing cardio? What type of cardio? Like what, what was your training program? Like, uh, what kind of levers did you pull to make that transformation happen? So the main thing is it's it's all to do with diet. You know, it's nothing really changes greatly with your training. Obviously, for me, it did because I had to train in, in the back garden. I was only doing I could only do floor press and I was just doing basic barbell movements. So my training was had to change a little bit because of that, but it was still centered around the basic movements. So nothing really changed drastically with changing it, with with training as a whole. The big thing was it's the diet. I remember the reason I got fat. I, I can I can remember I was I was like eating ice cream before bed on, on top of like you know steaks and potatoes and just just there was just, there was no need to be eating this amount of food. I thought it was all going to be going towards powerlifting performance and moving more weight, but but that didn't happen. So all I done I I I probably went from eating around forty five hundred calories, four thousand five hundred. Um, and then I, I slashed them down to around 3,000. I entered a, a good solid deficit. My maintenance is always, it's around 3,700 to 3,900, depending on the day. So I was in quite a big deficit. How do you find that maintenance for just other people out there? And honestly, I'm curious, you know, how did you know that that was your, your maintenance level of calories? I found a, an online calculator years ago and I, the way I, the way I always operate with, with not just me and um, and my clients is that you find a ballpark range for calories. Now you 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 run with them calories for a week or two, and you see if you make any adjustments on the scale. If you're dropping enough body weight, you're in the right range. If you're not dropping body weight, we need to drop calories. It is it's about trial and error, and you find that specific maintenance range for you. So I found my maintenance range pretty easily, and so I know now. Even now, I'm I'm on a diet now. I know where my maintenance is just because I've done this for for so long. So I found my maintenance, just ran with some calories, made adjustments where I was ne- where needed to. So the main thing was just being in a calorie deficit every single day. And the, the training, I was training five times a week in the back garden just with the basic stuff. And I was non-negotiable getting 10,000 steps every day. And I just, just relentlessly just done them three things. There was, there was nothing fancy. Nothing flashy to it. So what, fat loss is easy. You weren't you weren't spending hours on the treadmill, Francis? <laughs> no, I wasn't doing faster cardio of a morning. I wasn't doing faster sprints or <laughs> any of this stuff. I, I was just, I was another thing. I was going into my warehouse well fed with a lot of carbohydrates. That's one thing. I done a video on this today as well. That people fuck up when they. When they when they go in a deficit, the first thing that everybody wants to do is they want to slash carbohydrates right down because everyone thinks that carbs make you fat, and it's far from it. It's it's the biggest myth in the fitness industry. What I done, I I keep my carbs as high as possible. I got I got all all that way from two sixty five to down to two nineteen or two seventeen, whatever it was. I was eating three hundred and thirty grams of carbs every day all the way throughout that. Now, obviously, that's um, I'm a big guy anyway, so I, I can get away with eating that amount of carbs. But that just goes to show that anyone who thinks that carbohydrates makes you fat, it's false. 
if you if, if when you have a lot of muscle mass and you're putting that fuel to use you will be fine and that's that's why i always recommend keeping your carbs as high as possible because again if you if you slash your carbohydrates when you're dieting your performance is going to go to shit you, you are going to start lifting so much less weight for sets and reps and that is the that is the biggest signal for muscle loss that is what makes people look skinny fat when they finish a diet it's just cutting carbs completely keep your carbs as high as possible put them all around your training session so you have the fuel for when you need it most is when it's your in your lifting sessions that was one of the big things and something that that i learned from the the coaches that i was around at the time is that carbs need to be high around your training sessions it, it's it makes such a massive difference between ones who have a successful cut and the ones who end up crashing and burning or they end up skinny fat and just not happy with their results So you're at 3,000 calories, which is a pretty big drop from 4,500. Um, you're at 330 grams of carbs. How do you determine you know, how much protein? So I'm assuming you're cutting fats then um, during the cutting process. Is that right? Yeah. So I my protein, I always keep it around 250 to 270 grams a day. So don't forget it. If I started around 260 body weight, I've always shot for around 1 gram to 1.2 gram per pound of body weight so not everyone will need the amount of protein uh, that i do but i always keep it to around that range and yeah i i kept fats to a minimum level just around 60 grams a day just enough to maintain you know hormonal a good hormonal profile like testosterone production all that type of stuff i can function well on 60 grams of fat i i do not function well on low carbohydrates um, especially with the style of training and the way i like to train and the amount of muscle mass you need carbohydrates. You really do. Absolutely. So are you continuing to cut calories as you go, you know, further into, into the cut, you know, as you see your weight plateau, or are you then cutting again after, you know, a couple of weeks of no weight loss, do you cut, cut calories again? I, I remember that cut and I started on 3000 calories and the lowest my calories went were, were 2,900. So after like maybe the 10 week mark, I might have dropped to 2,950. And then I went down to 2,900. My my calories remain pretty stable throughout the whole cut. Gotcha. So did you increase cardio or what? Uh, or did you just continue to lose weight on the 3,000 calories? I just continued to, to lose weight on, on the 3,000 calories and the 10K steps and the training. I think because I was in such a, I was in such a pretty sizable deficit as it was, I just continue to, to lose body fat with these. I, I, I always say to everyone, if, when, when, you get your, when you get your calories set up and you're actually in a deficit for consistently, you will drop body fat with these. The reason people don't drop body fat is they're not tracking calories properly and they're actually not in a deficit. So that's some of the pitfalls that, that people fall into. Yeah. I think another big thing is a lot of times – you know, when you do make a huge calorie cut like you did, you almost have to eat healthier food, you know, to feel full, to get the nutrients in, to feel satiated, like 4,500 calories that allowed you the room for the ice creams and the things like that. But when you make that cut to 3000 and you want to feel satiated and you want to recover from the gym, you know, you have to eat healthier food. You really do. I think that's one thing people oftentimes overlook because you see a lot of the fitness approach being if it fits your macros, like this 3000 calories will 
even if you eat a donut or whatever, like, you know, still sneak it into the 3000 calories. It fits my calories. So I want you to touch on that. Did you, when you cut those calories, were you still composing those 3000 calories of nutrient dense foods? Were you trying to sneak in ice cream to the 3000? What did that look like? What did your meals compose up? Everything for me was just completely clean. I, I didn't sneak, sneak anything in just, the way I like to work, I, when I'm in a deficit, I I don't want to waste calories on something like a donut or some chocolate cake or whatever it is because when you're in a deficit, this is the way. For me, this is how I work. You're already in a deficit, so the, the, the amount of micronutrients and food that you're getting in, it's, it's not as much as it can be if you were eating that maintenance or in a slight surplus. So you need to be really smart with the amount of food and your food quality that you're eating. So... I don't, if I'm eating 3,000 calories, I don't want to go and waste 500 calories on a donut because for me, that's, for one, I'm not going to feel the best after eating that. You feel like shit. And I'd much rather, for, for the five, when, when you're dieting, 500 calories is a lot of food. To waste that on a donut, it really isn't worth it. Give me, give me a big plate of blueberries or strawberries or melon. Melon is the game changer when you're dieting. For 100 gram, you can have, it's just 30 calories. So for the for 500 calories of a donut, I could go and eat over 1.5 kilo of watermelon. Now that's you know, and I know that might sound stupid, but that that's the that's the way I think when when I'm dieting, I'm trying to eat high volume, low calorie foods, which are nutrient dense. Yep. I think we're off that topic now. I think we covered that pretty well. I want to jump back to getting out of in-person coaching and going all in online. So, you know, you said you had the four or five clients that you picked up from your hundred inquiries from this transformation. So take us back to that time. Did you just start gradually picking up more clients and then transition out or, and what were the emotions like around that of leaving your in-person coaching and going completely all in on yourself online? Hmm. This is, this is, this is another big one as well. So from, from the November of when I, I first signed my my first five clients, so that whole that this whole next uh, 12, 13 month period from November twenty twenty to shall we say December twenty twenty one, so December just gone. So that whole thirteen month period, I just continued to to grow Twitter, uh, just acquire more clients, just just kept posting more, more content, and the the clients just started to to rack up online as well, as well as in person. So through the end of last summer, my my business was the busiest it had ever been. So in person, I had the most clients I I'd ever had. That was going great, and online was going great. My my Twitter was just continuing to grow. I'd reached like twenty k followers. Inquiries are everywhere, so you know I, I was doing I was doing really good. So I got to a stage where I was I was getting a little bit I'd say burnt out with with doing trying to do both at the same time, in person coaching and online coaching. Now. The big thing when you're coaching someone in the gym, you have to be there at the scheduled time for an hour with someone. So let's say I, I had four clients on a Monday from 3 p.m. till 6 or 3 p.m. till 7 p.m. I have to be in the gym for that four hours 
to earn that money that I'm going to get from them clients. Whereas with online, I don't have to be in any one place. I can be wherever I please. People, clients can message me and all that type of stuff. and I can be anywhere. And the money online is so much better. So as, as I was continuing to acquire more online clients and then acquire more in-person clients, I was, I was looking at the ratios of like, okay, online coaching, just it's just from a time standpoint and the amount of money that you make, it's a no-brainer that it's just, it's so much better than in-person coaching. You can't even compare it for making money. It's just, it's so much better in terms of scalability, how you can push things and progress things. So the seed had already been planted last summer about me going all in online. It was just about getting it, getting to a certain point and just, just having the balls to to make that uh, jump over into all, all online coaching. So that takes us into that summer. Now, I know you, you, you wanted to speak about meeting Fabiana and, and all that type of stuff. So that's, that, that ties into that summer. So last summer of around September, August, September. Now she was in Madrid and I'm in I'm in the UK. So I decided to go over to Madrid for two weeks. Um, we were in Madrid, and I, while I was in Madrid, I was I was still earning money online. So I, again, it was not it was another light bulb moment for me, and I was like, "This is great! This I'm I'm sitting in Madrid. You know, I'm drinking sangrias and I'm getting some I'm earning some money online. This this is great! I don't have to be in the gym." So again, I was like, "This." This is this is the way. This is this is this is what we have to do. So, I then come back to Liverpool. Um, Fabiana's still in Madrid, and then we were we were discussing on you know what how we can move our relationship going forward as well. And then I've, I'm also trying to manage my business here, and all this type of stuff. So there was a lot going on. So then it gets to around November, and and then going back to Madrid because I can because again because of the online business I've just got the freedom to go where I wanted to and then I while I was over there it was before Christmas and I, and I thought and I made that decision right I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go all in with the online I'm gonna stop uh, coaching in person because I if, if I if I bet on myself just all in with online I guarantee it's gonna go better because when you stack all the cards on something and you have no other option it's more than likely going to work because you, you burn the bridges and you, you're not fucking about no more. You, you're making that you know promise to yourself. This is this it's shit or bust. This is going to work or or it's not. So you, I went all in with that. Um, that's that's what happens around that stage. And so we get into the new year and I'm, I'm, we're back home in the UK. I've quit coaching in person, so everything is all online. And then obviously Fabiana is, is from Venezuela and she wanted to come back here uh, to visit the family. So I come with her and we've, we've been here for a few months. And again, just, just building the online business, it continues to, to grow from strength to strength. Um, I'm currently at the busiest I've ever been. I've got a waiting list of clients with more inquiries coming in. So it's it's just, it's, it's in a, a real good position and it would never have been here if, if I didn't, if I didn't have the balls to take to make that play and just go all in with online coaching, I would probably still be doing okay. But I wouldn't have then got to that that the next step. And I think it just goes to show you've gotta you've gotta have some balls and again do 
do, do it differently than everybody else because there is not going to be many people from Liverpool like me who've built an online business who are living in South America. It's fucking when you think about it, it's 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 very rare. But as I say, you've got to do it different. What were the um, emotions like that? Because I know we've both had a similar experience. You know, how were you feeling when you quit your in-person job? Were you, I mean, I can assume you were feeling these things, but were you anxious, scared, nervous? I mean, what what was that like? As you, I quit. Next day, you wake up next morning, and it's. It's all on your shoulders. It's all on you, your yeah. online business. What, what was that emotions like? It was scary, uh, really. It was something that, it was one of them decisions that was pending for a couple of weeks. It was not something I just woke up one day and went, okay, I'm making this decision. It was I was, I was thinking it over for weeks. I was think, I was playing out the positives, the negatives, what could go wrong, like, like, like everybody does, because when you're going all in with an online business, it, it, again, it, it, it takes some balls. So, the the gym that I was in, um, full respect to to everyone in the gym. They they helped me get to where I am today. I have, you know, I never forget that. So I I would never sit here and badmouth the gym and and just badmouth in person coaching because I I can't forget where I come from and the people who who helped me do that. But I just I just knew that I was uh, I was destined to do bigger and better things than just being stuck in a gym coaching people and that's no again that's no dig at anyone i just knew that there was there was there was something bigger and there was a bigger world out there than being stuck in liverpool in the same city where i grew up i just knew there was there was something that i could do and there was a bigger world out there so that was always in my mind about leaving in-person coaching and, and being online but in terms of the emotions of it was it was sad to leave the gym because that was the gym that I've been training in for the last two or three years. I'd had some great training in there. You know, as I said, the fellas in there, you know, they, they were great. They were helpful with me. You know, they were, they were, they were my friends. So it's to leave and step away from a place that you've been for a couple of years. It's it's uncomfortable because you you're, 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 you're again you're stepping out of your comfort zone. And every time you ever do that, you're always going to be met with some resistance. But it's just about just pushing through that. I know everyone says this stuff, but it's so true. I've I've mm. seen it. Even with coming here to South America, I I had to leave my family. That's one of the hardest things that I've that I've ever done. And you know, it's it's hard, but it's it all leads to a to a greater thing. If I didn't do that, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And it's all it's all worth it. Yeah, just to reiterate that, I mean, I feel the same way. You know, when you step out into something new, you're always going to be met with that resistance. You know, you're always going to get punched in the mouth by adversity when you try to step out and do something bigger than what you're currently doing. It's every single time. I've seen it in everyone's story, my own story. Here you are, you know, sharing it as well. When you step out to achieve, even if it's just, you know, a goal for you that is big, it may not be big for other people, but if you step out to grow yourself and achieve something that is greater than what you're currently doing, you will always be met early on with some type of adversity, resistance, whether it's an injury. Like if you're trying to start your weight loss journey, you're going to get, you may get injured. You may have something happen, something come up, you know, it happens every single time, but you could have to continue to put it one foot in front of the other and move forward and you'll look back and thank yourself every single time as well if you if you do that and stick with it and that's again that's that's the people who are successful everybody has those feelings and it's the people who can 
can get out of that comfort zone and actually go through that door of uncertainty. It's the people who can do that. They're the ones who who actually who get somewhere in life because 99% of people, they are met with this adversity and this challenge and 99% of people just crawl back into their shell and they go to the comfort of what they know. But then if you do that consistently throughout your life, you're going to end up like everybody else and before you know it, you're going to be 50 years of age, your life has passed you by and you, you just never had the nuts to do what you wanted. Now, I couldn't live with myself like that. I would rather go out into the world and just make all these mistakes, completely fuck everything up. But at least I, but at least I can be 50, 60 and go, you know what? At least, at least I, I give it a good go. I, 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 I went for it. It didn't work out, but I've got no regrets. So that's, that's what I think. And that's, oh, yeah. that's something that a book, a podcast, Instagram, Twitter, that's something that none of that can teach you. Like just betting on yourself, going all in, taking the fucking jump, you know, growing a sack, growing your nuts, grabbing your nuts, whatever you want to say. We talked about this recently and it's just something that, you know, I feel like so many people who are wanting to make this big jump, they're seeking the answers in a book. They're seeking the answers, maybe even from this podcast, they're seeking the answers from people who have already done it and everyone who's already done it is saying the same thing. Take the fucking jump. Like just, just fucking do it. Put one foot in front of the other, step into the dark and figure it out because that's ultimately what this all is. And so anyone who's listening to this and you're considering taking a jump and you're seeking answers from the next self-development book or you're seeking answers from the next, next podcast, like you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it from there. Definitely not going to get it. So just, you got to bet on yourself. You got to take the fucking jump, but I want to go, what was the timeline from you quitting your job to moving to Venezuela? Because you quit your job, uh, you know, stepped into online, which was a huge change. Now you move away from Liverpool to South America, like another massive change. And it sounds like in a pretty close timeline. So what was that timeline there? Yeah, so I, I quit in-person coaching uh, just before Christmas of the year just gone by. And so that's let's say I went all in with online December and I left the UK on the 28th of February and I got to Venezuela on I think like the 2nd of March. So it was a I'd say about a two to three month turnaround and I'm here. Incredible. Wow. So awesome, man. I want to go into more just a little bit, you know, wrap it up. I know we've kind of gone long, but. Venezuela, man. I know Fabiana lives there. I know you made this huge move. Just what's it like? What's it like going from UK to Venezuela? What's Venezuela like? I know you've talked about how you walk around and everyone just kind of looks at you because you're just this huge jack yeah. guy with this <laughs> accent. So what's your experience been like there? Well, so far since, I, since I've been here, it, it's great. It's again, it's, it's just, it's getting out of my comfort zone and just, I'm not used to these surroundings at all. And the first, the first week or two, it was, it was, it was crazy, but you, you adapt. It's, you know, I've, I've left my, my home living with my mum and dad and, you know, my brother and I, we've been here in our, in our own apartments in South America for just over four months. So it's like leaving home as well. So you're, you you become your own man. It's just it's all on you. It's like again, and, and that's that's scary at the same time. But it's also it helps your development. And again, it's it's one of the best things and decisions that I've ever made. So that's a big thing. Is just it's being on my own two feet for, for for probably the first time ever. Because 
you can have your own job and all this, but if you still live at home with your mum and dad, you, you still have a little bit of a safety net and protection. You know, but when you when you make that step, now I didn't just take a step. I fucking moved the other side of the world as well. So, <laughs> but you know, that, that that's that's been a, a big thing, a big development in terms of the weather. Is the weather is great compared to the UK? The UK is just always cold and miserable and raining. As Lawrence says, it's true. The UK is just miserable. The sun does not exist in the UK. So here. We get we get some most of the time. I'm always getting a, a nice tan. I'm walking around shirtless, scaring off the locals all the time, and everyone's just always looking at me like like I'm an alien because you know I, I'm I'm six foot four and with a lot of muscle, and I'm walking around here in in Venezuela, and the the population as a whole is quite short. They're not a they're not a tall population. Can can. Places like Europe, they 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 are taller. It, it's well known that South Americans are not as tall. So everyone is just they, they look at me like I'm an alien. Like <laughs> cars cars are going past and people are turning out of the window. <laughs> everyone is just like, what the fuck is this thing? You know, it's <laughs> it's ev- everywhere I go. And I, I think I, I genuinely think some people must think that I am Chris Hemsworth. I've been getting that for years, like that that comparison. I genuinely do think that people must think it's Thor has just landed in Venezuela. <laughs> <laughs> I see it, man, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, dude. I told you you need to go all in Halloween, hammer, hair, all in, dude. Big red cape. Yeah, definitely, hundred <laughs> percent. Another good thing here as well, it's it's the it's the steak. Like you can get like a a kilo. So I think a kilo was like two point two pounds. You get 2.2 pounds of top quality steak, whether it be sirloin, picanha, fillet for like ten dollars. Like it's so, it's so cheap, and the meat it's top quality. It's it's just wow. because it's the way Venezuela, the, Venezuela as a whole, the country is fucked. It's very it's it's a communist country. You know the the people don't earn a lot of money, but you know the likes of me, if, if I, I'm earning money in, in US dollars and spending here, it's you know it's 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 easy. It's life on easy mode. I'm on my way. <laughs> everyone, everyone should come to South America. It's it's the place to be. <laughs> and uh, another big thing we talked about is English to Spanish because they speak Spanish down there. I'm pretty mm. sure. And you said you don't know much, if basic level. So what's it been like trying to communicate down there? It, it's hard. Like uh, I, I try and use you know Duolingo, which is the the, the app where you can learn languages on. I, I do some of that every day. Obviously, Fabiana speaks English, so I, I'm communicating with her all the time in English, but I can speak some extremely basic things. You know, If I was in an emergency, I could get myself out of an emergency, but it's still, it's hard for me to have a conversation with someone, and I've been here for four months, so it's, it's, it is hard, but I've got to be honest, I, I haven't sat here and made a a real conscious effort to spend hours a day trying to learn Spanish because I just it's not a priority and I haven't got the, the time to do that with what I'm trying to build online so it's like I just I speak to Fabiana in English I try and speak a little bit of Spanish here and there as best as I can but then I'm just in my own bubble just just training um, tweets content videos everything and then I just go out to train get a couple of weird looks from people and then come back here and just work. I'm just, I'm genuinely just in my own bubble. I can't understand the news. I can't understand anything that's going on. 
So it's just it, it's perfect. It, it's just a place just just to build. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I love that man. Yeah, that is so cool. That's so cool. Yeah, we man, we've been talking for a while. This is a, this has been an incredible conversation. You know, I again just want to reiterate thank you for you know coming on and talking with us and we'll definitely have to have another conversation and go in depth on training and nutrition and you know get into more of the the mechanics of lifting and stuff that i know that you know you're so so knowledgeable on and i'm sure we could talk shop for quite a while so um yeah man i just want to say say thank you it's been it's been a pleasure talking with you and uh, we're, we're gonna have to get it on the calendar for episode number two <laughs> Definitely, uh, I enjoyed it. We we didn't really, we didn't even touch much into the some of the lifting stuff, did we? But that just shows how much how good the conversation was. Yeah. So, dude, just to wrap up, I want you to, you know, anyone listening to the show, where you want them to follow you if they're interested in working with you, how do they reach out to you? You know, what can they do to get in touch with you? So, if you go, you probably know my Twitter. It's just at CoachFHM. Um, you, there's a there's a link in my bio which if you're interested in working with me if you'd like to have a, a schedule a free call with me there's a there's a calendar link on the website and my twitter just sign up um, and we'll, we'll see if we're we're a good fit and we'll go from there sounds good dude again yeah I, like he just said you know i appreciate your time bro i know you're a busy guy i appreciate doing all the spaces with you um and i think you know i think this is a relationship that's going to be quite quite a long time going for a long time so appreciate you bro i've loved every conversation we've had on twitter to this one just texted back and forth so it's been amazing but um appreciate everyone listening you know if you resonated with the message if you like francis's story we'd appreciate you sharing that out um you know and just all love from the super more bros see you guys